Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, welcome to episode number 106 of the Familypreneur podcast. It is time to start making plans for the summer. If you're listening to this right now, it is the beginning of May. And if you're like me, you're in Phoenix or somewhere where school gets out early and the kids are going to be out in just a couple of weeks. Other parts of the country, you may have about a month left. Either way, school will be out before you know it. And if your child is in those teenage years, those awkward years before they're officially a teenager, but they're still old enough for some increased responsibility you may have started thinking about when they'll be ready to have a little home alone time. Now, when I lived in New York, we had a local class available that prepared kids for home alone situations. And since this class didn't exist in Arizona or anywhere else that I could really find, I created my own digital version so that all of us parents can benefit from the convenience of a home alone class. The class was designed with kids 7 to 14 in mind, so even if your child isn't quite ready for that full responsibility of being home alone, this is a course that will equip them with the skills to handle emergency or unexpected situations. So if you're ready to take the next step towards independence with your child, head over to homealoneclass.com. Go ahead, pause the podcast. We'll wait. Today's guests are a mother and daughter pair with a fun and interesting story to share. Mom made her living for 18 years as a speaker and trusted author of dozens of traditionally published books. She says that the best part was that she and her husband were able to raise their three kids together, all of whom grew up to be entrepreneurs and amazing achievers. One of her children is also joining us today. She's a designer and illustrator with clients like Walt Disney Animation Studios, Disney Publishing, and Pinup Girl Clothing. Today, I'm excited to welcome and introduce you to Connie Neal and our daughter, Casey Robin. Hi, Connie. Hi, Casey. Thank you for joining me today. Hi. Hello. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you both here. I love parent-child duos, so this is going to be a really fun interview. I'm excited. You have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I know there's a million and one directions it could go, so we'll see where this takes us. (laughs) Where would you like to start? Connie, I think it makes the most sense if you could bring us back to what the earlier days of entrepreneurship looked like for you, especially when you had one, two, and or three kids at home with you? <laughs> well, I had in, in sixth grade, I, was, I finally found my calling. A man came to speak to our sixth grade class. His name was Ray Bradbury. You might have heard of and him. And he talked to us about, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fahrenheit 451, many other, uh, the, what was the other one? The Martian uh, Chronicles, something like this. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And he, he made his living writing stories. And that was the first time I ever heard that 
you could grow up and make a living writing stories. And so that secretly took root in my heart, but I didn't dare tell anyone. And when I finally grew up, my dad was an entrepreneur. I know you all, you always ask about the parent story, but for me, that was a very troubled part of my life. My dad, he worked very hard every day of his life in every kind of business. When he died, we spread out all the business cards and there had to be like 70 of them <laughs> of all the different businesses he had tried and started. And But he was never really a great success, but he became a compulsive gambler. And so for me, money and business and all of that just it, it boiled down to shame and fear. And right before I graduated high school, my dad lost our home, didn't tell us. I came home from school and the whole house was padlocked. I couldn't get any of my belongings, not, nothing. Wow. And, and my parents were going to have to move away and leave me. So that was the backstory, the entrepreneurial life that he had. Now it turned around <laughs> because I, at that point, I had I had become a Christian and I felt like God whispered in my ear, if you delight yourself in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. What do you want? And so I listed, well, I'd love to get, anyway, that story's in one of my books, Dancing in the Arms of God. But the short version is I received a full scholarship to Pepperdine University. And instead of being homeless, I was suddenly living in a brand new dorm overlooking the ocean in Malibu, California. And got my degree in communications, and I was covered. And so during that time, I secretly wanted to write. When I got married, I shared that dream with my husband. And for 10 years, I worked at sending out proposals. And I have a lovely collection of rejection slips. <laughs> and But I believe that collecting no's is the best way to get to yes. And so at a point in our lives when it looked like I had everything I'd ever wanted. Casey was four. My husband and I were working together, and it was a perfect job. We were youth pastors in this big church, and we were kind of famous in our little small town. And I was still sending out proposals and thinking, oh, I'm going to make a name for myself. And suddenly, we had a family crisis, which caused my husband and I both to be fired. We lost our home. We had to move to a new town just to get away from all of the public humiliation. And so out of that, I was pregnant at the time with my son, and they thought I was going to die. They thought I was going to lose the baby because everything was so stressful. So I end up in this hospital program, New Life Treatment Centers, and from that, I came through. The baby didn't die. Our marriage stayed together. We're about to celebrate our 40th anniversary. I got a book out of the deal. I wrote, Holding On to Heaven While Your Marriage Goes Through Hell. <laughs> And, but it was in that crisis where I lost everything. Now I'm at home with Casey's now about five and a half. I've got a toddler and I'm pregnant with my third. We have barely enough money to live on. And I run into the man who was the uh, founder of that treatment program in the hospital where I went. And he was talking to me about something he was writing about a topic that was tied up with our crisis. And, I, and I'm like, I have a few things to say for that. You know? <laughs> I mean, I could write a book on that. He's like, oh, I already turned on my manuscript. I go, fine, I'll write my own book. And he's like, Connie, do you write? I go, yes. He goes, are you any good? I said, yes, I'm very good. And he's like, well, would you, do you know anything about addiction and the 12 steps? I'm like, duh, I went through your hospital program. You know, <laughs> and he goes, well, you know, and so out of that, I ended up writing all the devotionals in the Life Recovery Bible. And that was my first published paid 
writing assignment that was in December, December 1st of 1990. And I was able to make a living just for my writing for 18 years from that. Wow. Yeah. And so it's like, everybody goes, oh, I want to become a writer. Not the way I did. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my backstory. And out of that, this, out of that dirt and tears watering it, this beautiful garden of a family and life has grown. And Casey, what was that process like for you? I feel like as parents, it's easy for us. And I think, Connie, you could probably weigh into that too, to feel like our lives are falling apart. We're, <laughs> our kids are, are, we're failing our kids. You know, like those are common thoughts, not to put words into your mouth, but I'm wondering like from your perspective, like what do you remember from your childhood? Well, I mean, I was... For the the crisis she was talking about, I was very young. I was four and five years old, and I have very few memories of that. As I was getting a little bit older, I remember going to my grandma's house a lot in Reading up in the mountains, and I got to run around wild in the hills and find feral kittens and have a very Huck Finn sort of summer. Um, And I guess that was because of all the things that were happening. You know, I was sent away to where I could be uh, safe and kind of away from it. Um, I remember getting a t-shirt that mom puff painted for me. It said Casey is special that she made when she was in the hospital. And I thought that was cool. I didn't know that it was unusual to be checked into a hospital like mom was for my brother's birth. I just thought like, oh yeah, I guess that's what happens. You know, it wasn't until I was, oh, 10, 12 years old that I started realizing what had happened. And that was through exposure mainly to my mom's speaking because she would talk about it. And so I heard the story of our lives when I was very young in ladies' church sessions told as a motivational talk. And I was always very proud of my mom being an author. I used to go and work her book tables and I really enjoyed that because I could make like four times my weekly allowance in one night. You know, and I was good at it. I was very good at selling books. I would sit there and and smile at people to like get them to come over. And at one point, you know, mom came over. She's like, Casey, why, why are you grinning like that? I'm like, a smile is a customer magnet. And I was like eight, you know, (laughs) and I, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. And it was funny because people used to ask me, well, would you want to do like what your mom does and like be a writer and work freelance. And I'm like, no, that sounds way too scary. I want a real job with a paycheck. Like I don't want to be a freelancer. And in the course of my career, I have become just that. I am a freelancer. <laughs> I write books. I paint pictures and I make a living at it. And I've been able to toughen up and manage the uncertainty of it for the reward of, of the freedom to make what I want to make, you know. I love that. I think it's so many entrepreneurs who do trade shows or fairs Mm -hmm. or like bringing their kids and having their kids man a table Mm -hmm. is kind of the natural first step. Connie, do you remember any like entrepreneurial, what's the word I'm looking for? Like seeing it in her any earlier or in any different ways? Or was that kind of the first time you recognized? It was my lemonade stand. Well, and the rocks. Oh yeah, the rocks. (laughs) We should tell about the rocks. Why don't you tell? Yeah. And, and we were all on, well, entrepreneurs, we were, we were all, all creative. creative. We're all creatives. Okay. My husband's a musician. My son's a musician. Casey and um, 
my other daughter, who now goes by our last name, Neil, she she was always an artist and a creative and an athlete. And so we would always do, I mean, people just didn't know what are the Neils doing now? Mm. I mean, one time I was trying to teach them the Bible story of uh, David, and David and Goliath. Okay, I can't just do David and Goliath. We're doing big Big Head the Bird Feeder, because there's this little back and forth, you know, trash talking between David and Goliath, where he's like, I'm going to chop your head off and feed it to the birds. No, I'm going to chop your head off and feed it to the birds. And so we'll see whose head gets chopped off and fed to the birds. And of course, it was Goliath's. So I thought it'd be wonderful. Let's just take a loaf of bread, <laughs> dig eyes out and put ramen noodles. for. Me. And we had this, you know, head on a pike sticking up out of our garden next to our sunflowers. <laughs> so that was kind of, yeah, you know, we were, were the known. head on a pike family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but these amazing, we would have these amazing parties and all these things. So when my kids, well, they tell about the rocks, the rocks, the things. so when they come up, Casey's like, these rocks aren't just rocks. They could be a paperweight. No, no, they no, could no, be no, no. You're, you're skipping the most important part. Okay. So tell, okay. I, I was bored and I found gravel, you know, gravel rocks, like river rocks or things that you put um, as landscaping. And there was a bunch of them. So I took some home and I wrapped them in holographic iridescent foil, which is all the rage these days. Everything is hollow. I saw it coming long before it was a thing. And I spent maybe an hour wrapping these rocks in little bits of foil. And I thought they were so pretty the way they caught the light. And they just had this nice tangible quality to them. I liked holding them. So I'm like, well, maybe my neighbors will like them too. So I went door to door selling them for a nickel a piece. And I was like, you could use them for so many things. They could be cat toys, paperweights, sun catchers. Um, you can make <laughs> games out of them. Aren't they pretty? Would you like, so how many should I put you down for? It's a nickel each, you know? And I had a little coffee can. That was how I earned money. And that was where I saved it was in my coffee can. And one neighbor opened the door real sour faced. And I explained to her my wonderful rainbow rocks. And she was like, does your mother know you're begging for money? I'm like, I am not begging. These have value, madam. I put work into these. Good day. (laughs) I wasn't quite that eloquent, but I like to think that I was. (laughs) But, you know, here's the thing. And I think this is really important. I was asking myself before the podcast this morning, you know, I listen to your show and I listen to these mothers and fathers, most of them who have younger kids. And I'm thinking to myself, if I could share with them, you know, what, what do I have that would be of value to them? Like Casey said, you know, what, what can I, this is a value. Yeah. I mean, I was eight at the time. So my values are maybe different than an adult's. Yes. But shiny and attractive. Mm -hmm. People like (laughs) shiny stuff. That's still true. And I was thinking early on, I was very goal oriented. And so I instilled that in my kids. But I didn't instill my dreams in them. I didn't instill my goals. Where Casey was interested in coming and working my book table. Neil was not. Taylor, well, when I I wrote a lot about Harry Potter. So when I did a Harry Potter family camp, Taylor said, I will come and run the games. I'll come and build stuff. I'll come and, you know, rig it up so that Hedwig the Owl can fly in and bring you notes when you're speaking, you know. So I tried to, like, tie into what are their talents and their interests and their, but when Casey was seven and I had just gotten the job for the Life Recovery Bible, which I'm, I'm really pleased to say it went on to sell 2 million copies. So that's like a feeling of out of our pain. We were able to share that and help others. But at the time I'm sitting 
on the corner of my bed with a little clunky, it wasn't little, it was a big clunky computer. And I had seven Hershey's Kisses lined up across the top of my computer. Every morning, those seven Hershey's Kisses went up because I had to finish seven devotionals a day to make the rent. <laughs> you know, and, and so Casey came in one day and said, hey, can I have one of those Hershey's Kisses? I'm like, no, you can't. Those are my goal rewards. She's like, what, what, what? And so I explained it to her. So she left. She came back. Mom, can you teach me to set goals so I can get Hershey's Kisses every day? (laughs) And so I came up with, I created a system called the Dream Box that I actually used with all three of my kids. But what's beautiful about it is it has them come up with all their dreams. So it gives me as a parent insight into that child, what they're thinking, what their talents are. And then you work together to draw out what do you want? Why do you want it? And you're getting insight into their heart, their mind, their intelligences, and you help them choose a goal. Then once you choose that goal, you put the stops and the goes and you get stars for every obstacle you overcome. And, you get, and then when you get done, you take a, well, it starts with a picture they drew of the dream. And then mm-hmm. at the end, you take their picture. So you've got the, what they drew next to the reality of it. So I did that with all my kids. And Casey was the only one that really you know, really ended up coming with me to shows and working with me regularly. And I was, you know, when I was younger, I liked to travel and I didn't have any money or means to travel. So (laughs) when I was 14 and 15 and mom was going to Las Vegas or Idaho with women of faith, I was like, I'll go, I'll go. I want to go to another state. But yeah. And, and I think for my kids, like, I know that I hear you talk about, did you encourage them to become entrepreneurs? And it's really interesting because what I tried to encourage in them was that they would find who they are, what value they have to offer someone else. And then together, let's figure out a way for you to do it and whatever that is. And so I didn't know that they were going to all end up being entrepreneurial like they have. You know, my youngest daughter, Neil, when she was 15, she decided she wanted to go to Africa. And I'm like, your dad's not going to go for that. <laughs> no way. And we worked together through the Dreambox system and we figured it out. And she basically, you know, found out the obstacle was you don't have any money. You won't be safe. You know, and she overcame all those. And she went, she ended up paying her own way to Africa when she was 15, 17 and 19 and putting in wells for, for the Zing region where they had no clean water. And so that's what I was trying to do was say, what what is in your heart and mind? What what good do you want to do in the world? Yeah. I think there was always this idea that you should pursue what is valuable to you and what you have that will be of value to others, to the world. And I think that if you look at it in a very healthy way, that's the heart of entrepreneurship. It's not making a buck or building a racket. It's about bringing something of value to the world through selling stuff, you know, in this case, but it's, it's a, it's an extension of, of sharing your gifts with the world. And that was something that we were always encouraged to do. So the dream box, that concept you've put into a course though, Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And I didn't, it's funny because I invented it in 1991. That was when Casey was seven. And I later in life afterwards, after I um, finished my author career and wrap that up. I went back to school and I got my degree, a master's degree in instructional design for online learning for creating online courses. And as I was thinking about it, as I neared 60, 
I thought, what would be something that would be really good? And so I've created an online course called The Amazing Achievers Dreambox Adventure because the process is real simple. And actually, I have a website where if people want to go and see the simple process, I think it has up five video lessons that are free that I've taken out of the course, but it would give you enough. It's at achieverstudio.com and it would give you enough to get started and to actually do it. This is something that I've come to notice as I've watched parenting and business pursuits recently and I listen to a lot of podcasts. We put a lot of time, energy, and money into retooling our business skills because the world is changing so fast and we know I've got to know that I've got to know the Facebook ads, you know, like I know Meg, you teach people how to do that. Mm -hmm. I've got to know the new technology. I've got to know the, and so we're paying money and we're, we're really retooling and we're educating ourselves like we must, but parenting has changed. And I think we still have this idea. If I were a good parent, I would just know what to do. I would, you know, I would just know. And so I don't think that's true. We have distracted kids. We have distracted adults. We, our kids are being bombarded by so much. Well, and we also have a phenomenon that we've never had before with kids being on social media. They can see in numbers how many people supposedly like them. And I think that the, the damage to a kid's self-image is real. The, The potential for danger of getting lost in chasing likes and chasing followers and friends who aren't real is is so real you know and instead we need to find our value in in the real world and real things this is something that helps with that actually with online social media it is a different world today for parents and i think that we really need to respect the value of what we do as parenting and respect the challenges enough to retool and to educate ourselves, because also we don't have extended family for the most part the way we used to. We used to have a real community where moms would watch the other women who were older moms or who were grandmas, and you had that, and, and you did just sort of pick it up. We don't have that anymore. And so that's why I'm really encouraging parents to say there is absolutely no shame. In fact, there's great respect in valuing that I'm going to take a course to learn how to help my kids find their dreams and set goals and reach them and how to pick up on what their intelligences are and how to listen to them and protect them from online social media. Um, it's it's very dangerous. Well, I mean, um, it can be a great tool, but you have to know how to approach it. You have to know that this is not the real world, that companies are trying to sell you things. Everyone's chasing fame and it's very fleeting, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think our kids have to know that they have to have a grounding of their real community and those who really love them and parents, this is the main thing. We have to have a window into their world. When online social media first started, I wrote a book, I think it was like in 2006 or 2007 called MySpace for Moms and Dads. <laughs> and online social media that for, <laughs> for the kids out there, that was before Facebook. Well, I mean, it online social media is the only form of social media, right? It was the now internet that right what was social media before the internet there was it was it was going to a a a girl scouts meeting or it wasn't wasn't media it was real socializing you're you're right it was real and so but the thing is is that I subtitled that the risks and the rewards but one of the risks is that we could lose track of who our kids really are that they could pretend to be what we want them to appear and so this 
system that I used with all three of my kids, I thought it was just going to be for their sake to build their talents and goals and all that. The most valuable thing was the insight it gave me to know what was going on in their hearts and minds when I would never have known it otherwise. Well, for example, I was a pretty lonely kid. I wasn't very good at making friends and I was very sensitive and I I wanted to have friends, but I didn't know how to get them. And so, you know, I was doing a dream card with mom for our dream box. And it was something like, have a Nintendo. It's like, oh, why? Well, because no one wants to play with me. But if I had a Nintendo, well, then they'd want to come over and play with me and I wouldn't be lonely, you know? And that was a real insight into where my little six-year-old mind was. Yeah. Mario, and then, my friend. And, <laughs> and actually, and amazingly, in fact, this is part of the video that's on the Achiever Studio site, is that through doing this, Casey, within three weeks, earned enough money to buy herself a Nintendo. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the value to me was she was hiding that loneliness because I think I was crying a lot at the time. This was back well, in Well, we were living in an apartment where there weren't a lot of kids. There was like one other yeah. kid my age. Richie, Richie. Yeah. I was mean to him. <laughs> I don't know why I was so mean to Richie. Sorry, oh, Richie. Richie. Oh, Richie. Oh, <laughs> Richie. Like, Richie, if you're listening. I'm really sorry. So- I was a jerk. <laughs> Casey, I'd I'd love to make sure we touch on what you're doing now. Like we've talked a lot about your childhood through through your mom, Mm -hmm. you know, through her story. But where are you now and how has your your mom and her journey influenced the path that you've ultimately taken? I know you you touched on it. Yeah, yeah, I kind of hinted at it. So now I am a full-time illustrator and designer. So um, I create hand-painted illustrations for books. I've worked on um, animated projects, doing things like storyboarding, directing, designing. Um, I do designs for fashion. In fact, today I'm about to sign a contract with Pinup Girl Clothing for several series of dresses that I'll be designing. And I've never designed real clothes before, but I've always like drawn cute girls in dresses and the public was like, we want them to be real, make them real and we'll buy them. And so we're working on, you know, turning that into a reality. It's very exciting. That's really cool. Yeah. So I've kind of, I I kind of started in the realm of animation. I started with an internship at Disney. And then from there I segued into kind of naturally into illustration because I, I, do prefer to draw and paint by hand. And this is something that lets me do that. So I create art for gallery shows. And short answer is I'm a freelance artist, but that's kind of where my art is applied. And part of my job is traveling around to trade shows and promoting myself via (laughs) Comic-Con, WonderCon, fan conventions like Harry Potter conventions. And back when My Little Pony was first popular, brony conventions. I mean, My Little Pony is still popular in my house. Yeah, no, it's still (laughs) popular. But I mean, the heyday of like seasons one, into a friendship is magic when bronies were first a thing and everything was like new and shiny and it was like the thing i was like mom dad i really like this cartoon show my little pony don't laugh it's good i thought it would be stupid but it's really good and i want to go to this my little pony trade show in seattle but i can't do it myself can we please go as the apple family because they're a hard-working family pony and I'll be Applejack and you mom you could be Granny Smith and dad you can be Big Macintosh and my little sister Neil you can be Apple Bloom and my sister said no I don't don't even mention ponies in front of my friends absolutely not you know and my dad was like free trip to Seattle 
I said, I go. I'll be Granny Smith. I'm an old filly. I've been around that orchard a few times. I, I'll be there. I'll be there. Yes, I will. And oh, and shucks. Pa- We'd be just so happy to have you over at Sweet Apple Lakers. We'd be a real apple family. So we, <laughs> yep. you know, and I made up a, a couple of pieces of art. And actually what it ended up turning into was sort of like a character meet and greet at Disneyland where we would just stay in character and people just wanted to be like, Granny Smith, Granny Smith, what advice can you give me for my, my day-to-day life, Granny Smith? You're a wise pony. So we would have, so we went to the LA Equestria Los Angeles, which is a huge brony convention. And for those of you who don't know what a brony is, it's a grown man who loves my little ponies and he's not ashamed of it. It could also be applied to a grown woman, but you know. Yes, exactly. But we went to this brony convention in Anaheim and what, there were probably 1500 people there. Okay, a lot of little kids and their parents and then 20-somethings. And there was a whole contingent of military bronies who are active duty military who were dressed like their favorite pony character. (laughs) And so people were lining up to ask Granny Smith. And this was on Mother's Day. This is what a devoted mother she is. She was at my (laughs) booth, working my booth on literal Mother's Day. And I'm like, can I like buy you food after this or something? (laughs) But it was a great sales uh, advantage because I said, now, hey, you, have you bought your mama a gift yet? Granny Smith says you need to get your mama a gift. Come here, smell this candle. It's got, it's got apple yeah, jacks Yeah, we had apple-scented candles. And it smells just like sweet apple <laughs> acres. And you get your mama that, and here's a card. You write her a note right now. And so, so I taught them how to write a note to their mothers on Mother's Day. Yeah, I mean, we had people from the show, like people who worked on the show, directors, writers, coming by to meet Granny Smith. Like she and to became take the pictures star. with her. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So, some, so sometimes, I guess all that to say, mom has been very devoted to helping me when I need to go to a trade show. <laughs> and sometimes um, the freelance path has taken me in wild, unexpected directions that have been a lot of fun. Well, and one of the things I wanted to touch on too, that was been very, I don't know, it's, it's poignant for our family because here's the danger. When you inspire your kids to be entrepreneurial, to have a dream, to pursue it, there's a great danger because once they've set their heart on something, if they lose that dream or if it dies, that's devastating, you know? And, and so with all of our kids, they, they accomplished a lot and they were getting in the groove of, you know, getting this, I dream it, I choose the goal, I set the goal, I reach the goal, you know, we celebrate, take a picture, look, you know, here's my collection of all the things I've achieved. And our son had throughout his teenage years wanted to be a musician, a singer songwriter, like his dad's a musician. And he went to college, paid his way through school as a musician. So, you know, it's like he was freelance. He was doing that thing. He was, you know, blending tea on the side uh, at a tea shop, which in Seattle is a is a very respected profession yes. to be a tearista. Thank you, hipsters. <laughs> yes. And two years out of college, out of nowhere, we still don't know what caused it. He was stricken with a seizure disorder and he lost all memory of his music. Mm. Over 500 songs that he had composed were completely gone from his memory. His ability to play music was gone. I mean, like Casey, imagine if you woke up tomorrow and couldn't remember how to draw and you saw your beautiful art, but your brain 
just snapped and it's not there anymore. So dealing with that as a family, what's been really gratifying to me is to see my three kids take care of each other. And Casey and Taylor started talking and he's like, well, what can I do? Well, I still know how to blend tea. And they had had this funny idea. Casey had an idea for tea and strumpets. Yeah, it'd be like a burlesque show themed around tea. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so the two of them worked together and created a line of teas that they sell now. Yeah. And Casey did beautiful artwork and created a girl that represents each tea and put them on tea tins. And they're beautiful little pieces of art tea tins. And Taylor bl- hand blends the teas. Mm-hmm. It's a really and fun t- collaboration. Yeah. And so I see that. And, and you can find them at CaseyRobinTees.com. <laughs> And you see, and if you could see her on camera, you'd see that she's smiling, and a smile is a customer magnet. <laughs> What's that? Casey Robin tees with an S on tees. Yeah, and it's an adorable. I went to the the website. They're so cute. Like yeah. I had to go through and look at each ten. We're really and pleased with read that. about each blend, mm-hmm. and they are all hand blended. I mean, he's got a mortar and pestle, and he's like breaking awesome. up roses that he ordered from like Pakistan or something. It's very cool. And that's what I thought was cool too. It almost looked like potpourri. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful floral blend. And, and we, we noticed that when we were doing pure teas that were just like, here's a black tea. It was a good tea, but it didn't have the visual appeal that one of our mixed blends that had, like we have a chai that's got visible chunks of star anise and cardamom pods and a beautiful array of colors that reflects the artwork on the tin. So when you pull the yeah. tea out, the colors and shapes we work it together ahead of time so I incorporate the colors Taylor's thinking of into the artwork you know so that there's a confluence between the art and the tea and it's a real fun little art object you can use in your daily life I love it I I definitely I'm glad you shared that story too because I I do love that it's a big element I think of familypreneurship you know the the topic of this podcast is that we all support each other. And I I can't even imagine having gone through that. But I mean, when somebody stumbles, everybody else helps pick them up. And that whole concept that I love of like, we rise by lifting others. Mm -hmm. So by lifting him up, you are all rising. I want to bring up one more thing. My sister, Neil Haley, she is starting a new venture where she is getting trained as a personal trainer. And she's been in boxing gyms and all this wonderful fitness stuff for so many years. And she wants to help people who are maybe kind of afraid of fitness. And they see all these like, fit girls on Instagram and are just like, oh, that's not for me. I'm not, I'm scared of the gym because that's me, you know? So I, she grew up with me. I hate the gym too. Uh, But I love roller skating and I love swimming. And so my sister in, I think in January, we'll be doing a hashtag across social media, hashtag 30 days of movement. And I'll be supporting that by drawing a quick gesture sketch of her in motion. And she'll be doing different kinds of movement for 30 days to inspire people who might feel a little intimidated by, you know, traditional fitness. Yeah. So again, we're seeing them helping each other in their entrepreneurial ventures. And um, for for a parent, there's nothing. I feel like, okay, I don't want to die now, but I could die now and be (laughs) okay. Well, any of us could die now. Right. That's true. (laughs) Especially the way I drive. I I mean, I live in LA. The the whole thing could just be shaken (laughs) apart at any moment or burn with fire. (laughs) 
you know, but it's, you know, to see Neil doing her modeling and doing the, and, and, and totally different, you know, into boxing. Casey's like this girly girl and Neil was always just, pardon my language, but a badass. Yeah. I mean, that's just, a, a, but a beautiful badass. You know? <laughs> well, and see, <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm camera shy, you know, Neil's always getting in front of the camera and I'm, you put a camera on me and I'm just like, <laughs> like, take the camera off of me, please. I'll draw a picture of me and you can take a picture of that. Meg, there was one thing that I was thinking of when I was, in fact, I was listening to another of your podcasts this morning as I was getting ready. I was, that's what I do. I spend my mornings with Meg. (laughs) And so so as I was getting ready this morning, I was listening to your podcast about the woman who has the 18 kids. Yes. It was amazing. It was amazing. But I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, one of, there's a couple of things I learned. I always hear guilt come up. Guilt yep. and balance. If you don't mind, I'd like to share because I have a, a little bit different perspective from what I've heard. Is sure. that, is that a, okay. Well, I see guilt as a gift. Now, it's a gift like the gift of someone giving you a smoke detector. <laughs> you know, it's Thanks. Like, yeah, thank you. You know, it's there. Our conscience, our instinct is to protect our kids and make sure they have what they need. And our conscience, the little alarm will go off when we're not doing that. And sometimes we're really not doing what we should to take care of them. And that little alarm going off is a gift that says, wait, stop. First things first, make sure your kids are cared for your business. You have your whole life you know, take care of this. But on the other hand, what's happened is in this world, the guilt button goes off constantly. And so it's like if you have a malfunctioning smoke alarm, you want to just take the batteries out you know, and go, I can't deal with that because our roles have shifted in society. It used to be you knew exactly what it was expected of you as a parent. You knew exactly what was expected of you in whatever role you had. That's all gotten blurred. And so our guilt alarm just goes off all the time. So I found a way to where I will listen to guilt, but I will distinguish between is this true moral guilt where I am doing something wrong or not doing what they need versus is this just vague guilt? And I think you have to, if you have very clear picture of your responsibilities, then if you're not living up to those, you stop and go, no, I can't do this. Like when the kids were little, Haley Neal was three, I decided I want to be speaking because my books were starting to take off and I need to be out there on the road to be able to build, you know, that was before the internet. So you had to build by being out there on the road. And so I decided to get a foreign exchange student and I had her come stay. And the deal was you'll watch the kids on the weekend so I can go speak. Well, the very first weekend I'm away, I call home. Baylin snuck off with her boyfriend. My kids were home with no one watching them. To be fair, I was like 12 at this point. So I was watching. Okay. But still, I'm sorry. Yeah. But it was was not the arrangement you had settled. Well, I felt guilt and I thought that was right guilt. So I put it off for three years. I didn't do speaking. I kept writing, kept doing my things. Then I got asked to go to Women of Faith and tour all around America. I had someone to stay with the kids. My mom could come. And my my husband was now a stay-at-home dad. And at that point, I go away. And here's the tricky part. Your kids will work the guilt angle. I came home after they were perfectly well cared for, come in the back door, and I had made cookies, which is like, Mom my doesn't kids, make cookies normally. No, I make, okay, <laughs> put it this way. When my kids have memories of their mother loving them and trying to cook them something, it will have that burnt smell mm-hmm. in their memory because I would put things in the oven, forget they were there, and then they'd burn, and that was what I did. <laughs> but this time I actually pulled the cookies out before they burned, and 
the kids come home from school and I was somewhere they couldn't see me. Taylor runs in, he sees these cookies and they were beautiful cookies. Martha Stewart would have been proud, had their name on each one on their plate. Taylor runs in, he looks at the cookies, runs back to the girls and goes, hey, the guilt offerings are on the table. Let's milk this. (laughs) And you know, your kids don't. At that point, you can say, no, I am not guilty. I'm not guilty. My kids, if whether it's a nanny or whether it's daycare that you trust or whatever, I've thought this through. My kids are fine. I am not going to feel guilty. Sorry. <laughs> and, you know, so I hope that helps someone. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that different perspective. Now, we need to wrap things up. We're towards the end of the show. Mm-hmm. So I'd love, I know we dropped some links throughout the episode, which is great. Could each of you share where people can connect with you, both, you know, if you've got specific business links or you as a person, however you want people to connect with you. So I'm Casey Robin and I'm at Casey Robin on Instagram, Casey Robin Art on Twitter and Facebook. And on Etsy, the shop name is Casey Robin Art. So it's etsy.com slash shop slash Casey Robin Art. But if you just put Casey Robin Art in the search box, the shop will come up. And we're currently having a sale until the 17th with free shipping on all and if you put in the code Mary Mary, you will get an extra 25% off. The other place you can find um, the teas that I make with my brother is at CaseyRobinTees.com. Thank you. And Connie? Yes. And being the mom, it's C-A-S-E-Y-R-O-B-I-N. And my brother is T-Master Tay is his team name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a DJ name. Well, mine is pretty simple because I'm not really, I'm doing the side venture of my online course, the um, Dreambox Adventure, but I work full-time for a university creating online courses. So we've switched places. I now, because of our family needs, I now work a regular full-time job. Um, But I created a Facebook page that's Achievers Studio with Connie Neal. And so anybody who wants to interact with me there, and I would love for people to go and see the free videos that are available on Achievers Studio dot com and that I have not launched it yet, but it is actually available. I'm going through a founders class for the next few months so that if people did want to purchase it, use the course, it will be available by the time this podcast is out. Awesome. Well thank you guys both so much for taking time out of your schedules and making it work to get together and record this. I really appreciate it and I know it's going to be a great contribution to the podcast and to our listeners. Thank you. And thank you, Meg for what you do. You're helping a lot of families and businesses. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. If you are anything like me, you want to see that Applejack and Granny Smith photo. So be sure you head over to the show notes at megbrunson.com slash 106 and check that out along with all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes. I want to give you one quick reminder again for that Home Alone class. If your kids are anything like mine, they don't always listen to us, right? Because we're the parents. Sometimes having a second outsider voice to just reinforce the teachings that we want them to have can really help make the information stick. And that's one of the reasons why Home Alone Class was so helpful for me when we were getting ready to give my daughter those increased responsibilities. And that's why I believe Home Alone Class is going to be the right fit for you. Again, you'll find more information on the class at Home Alone Class. If you've already subscribed to the podcast, you probably know that Friday is our day for family reflections, and Monday we talk about marketing, and of course, our midweek masterminds every Wednesday. If you're not a subscriber yet, what are you waiting for? 
Go ahead and hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player now. I will be back on Friday for some family reflections, and every Monday we talk about marketing. This month, we are focused on the ad level of the Facebook ad creation process. So Monday, we're going to talk about multiple creatives and the importance of always testing. Talk to you soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. It only takes a moment, and let's be honest, it helps other parent entrepreneurs know how amazing this podcast really is.